So I read a story about a little boy who was walking with his mom on a very dark night, and the mother led the little boy by the hand, and he completely trusted her as they walked along. The boy had just begun to learn some Bible stories, and he had full trust in these stories, complete trust in everything he heard. And after quietly walking for a little while, he looked up and he said, Mama, and she said, Yes. He said, I'm not afraid at all. And she said, well, why not? The boy replied, because God keeps hold of my other hand. What a beautiful lesson of childlike faith for us this morning that has that faith in God without fear. The faith of a little child demonstrates that simple faith that God asks us to have in him. We have to have that kind of faith in order to approach the Lord. A child never questions, never doubts, but simply trusts. And by the way, the Lord then honors that trust that comes from us. So we're told in Scripture that we're to have the faith or the trust of a child. But then we're told in Scripture that we need to grow up in Christ and not be immature as well. So keep that in the back of your mind as you open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we continue in that verse-by-verse study from the Apostle Paul. Really quickly, let's catch up where we were last time in 1 Corinthians. We learned that the greatest gift of all the spiritual gift is agape love. The greatest gift, the love that adds value to everything that we do. This love is the best and greatest of all gifts. In fact, if you do not have love, all your other spiritual gifts are completely useless, we're told. And love is the best evidence that God is involved in a ministry. We also learn that love edifies the body of Christ. And so we ended by saying, knowing that the purpose of spiritual gifts is for the edification of the whole body, then we must... Think of others rather than ourselves when it comes to exercising spiritual gifts. And of course, this takes love to do. You see, Jesus is not only calling you for a commitment. He's calling you to a radical commitment of love and service because true love for him will motivate us then to serve him. And so this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to show how love has everything to do with our maturity in Christ as well. So if you have your sermon notes, Roman numeral one, put away childish things. Put away childish things. If your Bible's open, 1 Corinthians 13, let's begin with verse 11. The Apostle Paul said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Dr. Thomas Constable said this, the Corinthians took great interest in things that would soon pass away, namely knowledge, tongues, and prophecy. There in your notes. A sign of spiritual maturity is occupation with things of eternal value, such as love. You notice he's not saying that all these other gifts don't exist. What he's saying is the preoccupation with other gifts should not be. We should have a preoccupation with love, love for the body, love for others, and love for Christ. And so Paul's comparing his current level of spiritual maturity with others. And when I was a child, and he's saying, now that I am a man, I put away childish things. In other words, now I'm led by the spirit and not the flesh. 
Those things of the flesh have grown strangely dim as I mature in Christ. As you read this, though, it kind of seems to contradict what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, at least a little bit. Matthew 18, 2, Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So unless you're converted and become a child, you can't go to heaven. But wait, Paul just said to grow up. So who's right? Is Paul right or is Jesus right? Yes. Jesus said, unless you're converted as a child, you can't enter heaven. However, we shouldn't confuse this statement, converted as a child, to think that we should act immature. The word converted means this, according to Strong's, to turn oneself from one's course of conduct. In other words, to change your mind, have a change of mind. It's very similar to the word repent. You're going this way, you change your mind, and you head the other way. That's what converted means. So Jesus said, there's no option here. You must be converted. Must, not should be. You must be converted to go to heaven. That sounds pretty narrow-minded to me, right? Maybe it doesn't sound narrow-minded to you, but there's another place that Jesus put a condition on going to heaven as well. And I want to read it to you. You know, so many people say there's many roads that lead to heaven. There's only one way to get into heaven. And Jesus is pretty clear about that, right? You must be converted. John 3, 3, Jesus said this. Jesus answered and said to him, that's Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There in your notes. The only way you can truly be converted is by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. And that takes place when you are born again of the Spirit of God. So how's a person converted? It's a work of God, not of ourselves, right? You see, here's what's so cool about my God. I was so lost before Jesus. I wasn't a little lost. I knew I was lost. No one had to tell me I was lost. I was a wreck. I knew I needed a Savior. But God loves me unconditionally, and he loved me right where I was as I received his free gift of salvation. He, he didn't ask me to do anything but trust him. He didn't ask me to do anything but believe him and come to him. However, once I did that, then his Holy Spirit came to live within me, and then his Holy Spirit said, Now, Rich, it's time to grow up. And as I surrendered more and more of my desires, he changed me, changed my mind, he changed my hearts, he changed everything I wanted, everything about me. And the more I gave him control of my life, the more he changed me. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is how someone converts, by the way, from being a self-governed person to be a, a God-governed person. You, you can't do it on your own. I mean, you can go and try and read all the self-help books you want to. You can go and get all the information off of, you know, the, inter the old interweb, and you can do all this study, and you become a well-adjusted sinner. <laughs> You're only converted by the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 2.25 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the idea of being little children in Matthew chapter 8, many people struggle with that because, wait a minute, Paul's saying grow up in Christ. Jesus is saying come as a little child. So what exactly is Jesus trying to say? It's kind of confusing. Well, was he saying that I should behave like a child even though, you know, I'm well past the age of an adult? This is what J. Vernon McGee has said. The Lord's not talking about going back to a former childhood. He's talking about going on to new life. Going on. You see, genuine conversion then produces a childlike trust. Trust. Not behavior, but trust. You know, it, it's easy to, you know, to question God, right? But God, how could you? How many of us, and don't show me your hands because I know you all have, but how many of us has gone, gone through something and said, God, how could you? I've given you my whole life, and let, yet you've allowed this to happen. Only to get like a couple years down the road and look back and go, oh, I see what you were doing. At the time, it sure didn't feel good. At the time, it sure didn't make sense. But now, I see how you were working that out for good. So as followers of Christ... We should have the trust of a child, the faith of a child, not the behavior. There's the difference. Trust versus behavior. There in your notes, number one, a child believes what Jesus has revealed in his word. Number two, a child is not concerned with the preconceived beliefs from the world to form their own opinions about the Lord. In other words, I don't read the newspaper and then decide if God was right in his word. Number three, a child is innocent of evil and trusts easily, which is why kids are vulnerable and why we need to protect them. You see, parents are told to train their children in the way they should go. And here's the promise. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. I hang on to that. I have four adult children. Train your child in the way they will go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. I want to ask my boys, when is old? <laughs> but children are shaped and molded when they're young. You know the they brothers. You know the they brothers know everything, right? If you don't know anything, you ask the they brothers, and they will tell you. The they brothers say that the best time for someone to come to faith is before they're 16 because after 16, it's rare for that to happen. Because, you know, after 16, and I would say after 12, but after they become a teenager, they know too much and, and that simple faith is gone. But the They Brothers don't know everything. I, I have led an 85-year-old to Christ and I have led a 7-year-old to Christ. So the They Brothers don't know everything. But I am so blessed by our children's ministry here at our church you know, Valerie's not in the room, so I'm going to give her a plug. Since Valerie has come on, you know, our children's ministry has blossomed. And we have this new room called the Joyful Noise Room. It's for special need children. And we have never had that before. And when she said she wanted to do it, I was like, we already need more volunteers, Valerie. <laughs> you know, oh, ye of little faith. But I mean, I, we should pray and support our children's ministry more than anything, if you want to see people converted, if the They Brothers are even close to right, then we should be ministering to kids, right? 
And this is not a plug to get you to do anything. It may sound like it, but I am so proud of our children's ministry, and that's one of the things that we need to continue to pray about because the best years for someone to come to faith is when they're young. There in your notes, a person who has gone through a genuine conversion will gain attributes of a child becoming humble, honest, and sincere because of their new nature in Christ. That's the positive side. Here comes the negative side. But there are certain childish behaviors that should change at conversion as well. Childish speech, thoughts, behaviors, and reasoning. We can easily do a spiritual inventory just looking at those four things, right? Think about it. What am I saying? What are the words coming out of my mouth? How am I thinking? How am I behaving? How am I reasoning? Someone said, you know, babies are cute, but not when they need to shave. <laughs> the disciples were all about power and position and, and who's the greatest. And that's all they were about. In fact, Matthew 18, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, who's the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus, I know you're about to take the cross and be beaten and brutalized as, you know, the king of the universe, but, but who's number two? A am I good enough to be number two? But they were asking the wrong question. What they should have been asking is, how can I best serve you, Lord? How can I serve you? And, and instead they wanted, who's the best? True greatness in the kingdom happens through humility. Think about this. These disciples were together for two and a half years at this point. They've seen all these miracles. They've seen, you know, feeding of the 5,000. They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen all these different things. And they go to Jesus and say, all that's great, but can I be number two? Can I be number two? Self. You know, it's that hymn we love to sing in church. Open your hymnals to 305 to It's All About Me, Jesus. James 3.16 says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So the king of the kingdom, Jesus Christ, is our best example of what humility looks like. You think about this. If you created from before time began the world, would you come as a baby and humble yourself, grow up as a man and humble yourself to the point of death? Would you do that? I, I often think if I was the king of the kingdom and I came to visit and my people behaved like y'all did, <laughs> you'd get a do-better talk for sure. <laughs> But Jesus, this is what Paul says about Jesus in Philippians 2.5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, in the flesh, we're all rebels. 
And we want to be noticed, but Jesus came as a bondservant. Bondservant. So as authentic Christ followers, we're told to let go of your childish ways. Paul said, when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. It's a natural progression of our spiritual life that as we grow, we start letting go of some of them childish ways. Stop fighting about childish things. So here's what I learned, and, and maybe this is just for me. A lot of times you don't know this, but me and God have a, a very good do-better talk all week long as I make these sermons. And so whatever he convicts me, I'd like to convict you because I want to share the pain. But this is what I've learned from this passage is that, you know, it's possible to be a Christian for a very long time and still have childish ways. All right, Roman numeral two, let's go right on. The revealing of the real me, the revealing of the real me, look at verse 12. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So here Paul uses this mirror, right, and to show the difference between our present situation and what it's going to be like when I walk by his side, right? Gordon Fee said, in Paul's day, you know, mirrors were made from metal, and in Corinth, they made some of the best mirrors around. But here's what I learned from this passage. Do you know that nobody knows the real self? You don't even know yourself that well. Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What's he talking about, but then? Well, if we back up a couple of verses, we'll get the proper context, right? Take everything in context. 1 Corinthians 13.10 says this, But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. There in your notes. What 1 Corinthians 13.10 is referring to is when we stand in the Lord's presence and he removes our temporary limits on knowledge, as well as many other limitations we have in our present condition. Think about this. For now I know in part, but then I'm going to know just as I'm known. Whoa. The Apostle John said this in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Catch that. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, right now we see indirectly. But then we are going to see directly, face to face. Think about this. This is exciting stuff. Thomas Constable said, Today we see in the present like a photograph. But when we get there, we're going to see the thing the actual photograph was taken of. It's kind of like I went to Paris about five years ago. And the Eiffel Tower, I've seen, everyone's probably seen pictures of the Eiffel Tower, right? But when you're standing like a half a block from the Eiffel Tower and you're doing this, there isn't a picture in the world that like standing at the Eiffel Tower. It's the same way about when I see Jesus face to face. I mean, in my best worshipful moments, 
in the moments that I'm on my face and lost and forget the world exists and I am speaking to Jesus like he's sitting right in front of me, I can picture, I can sense, I mean all those things, but it's just a dimly lit picture compared to when I get to see him face to face. And, and notice it says, now we partially know but then I'm going to fully know. And I'm not trying to say we're going to be like all-knowing like God. But when we see him, we're going to be like him and we're going to know all things. That's what John tells us. So there's not going to be these barriers anymore. That's the issue. Is the barriers between me and God of, because of the sin and the flesh and all this stuff, all the barriers, they're gone. Me and Jesus, face to face, the scars in his hands, the, the scars still on his side, and I look at the one who loved me and gave his life for me. And I'm this close. Wow. Unhindered fellowship for the first time ever. Wow. Think about after Moses came down off the mountain. And he went up there and got the two tablets. And you know the whole story. They were down there making the golden calf. And they were sinning and all this. Well, after all that takes place, the Lord says, Moses... Pack up the van, it's time to go. Exodus 33, 9, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. So the Lord, catch this, spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. And even though Moses still couldn't look on the full power of the Shekinah glory of God, God still spoke to him that intimate relationship with Moses. And by the way, it's not just Moses. God said, you can have that today. That's the kind of intimate fellowship you can have today. And I shall know, Paul says, just as I'm known. Here's the thing is, we cannot handle that this side of eternity. Our bodies would just go to dust. We cannot handle that kind of knowledge, that vision. I mean, we just couldn't do it. The flesh won't take it. This is what Spurgeon said. If we knew more of our own sinfulness, we might be driven to despair. If we knew more of God's glory, we might die in terror. There in your notes. If we had more understanding, unless we had equivalent capacity to employ it, we might be filled with conceit and tormented with ambition. All right, Roman numeral three. These three abide. Look at verse 13. And this is that great wedding verse as well. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love, is love. Faith, hope, and love are found all throughout the New Testament. They're obviously so important. You can find them in Galatians. You can find them in most of the, the, the Pauline epistles. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1-2, We give thanks to God always for you all. See, he was Southern making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, 
and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. This is what David Guzik said about that. The three great pursuits of the Christian life are not miracles, power, and gifts. Rather, they are faith, hope, and love. There in your notes, though the gifts are precious and given by the Holy Spirit today, they were never meant to be the focus or goal of our Christian lives. Instead, we're to pursue faith, hope, and love. So to get proper context of this verse, there's four words here. I want to give you the meaning to them. And, and you might say, well, they're kind of self-explanatory. And they are a little bit. But abide. What does abide mean? Number one there in your notes. It means to remain. It's, it's in reference to a place. It can also mean to sojourn or to tarry. Jesus said this in John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. All right, number two is faith. According to Strong's, it's a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God. In general, with the included idea of trust. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And catch this, it's the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must first believe that he is, and second, believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So faith is the evidence of things hoped for. Wait, I just hope for that. How can that be evidence? Because I trust God. God said he was going to give it. I trust him for it. And then without faith, I can't even please God. All right, Roman numeral three, or number three, rather. Hope, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. We better repeat that one. Listen to this. I didn't make this explanation up. This is what it means in the Greek, okay? And I know a little Greek, and he runs a deli down the street. <laughs> Hope, a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. Do you have hope? Hope in the morning. Hope in the evening. Hope because you're living. My hope is in Jesus. Paul said in Romans 5, 5, Now hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So you can't be disappointed by God's hope. All right, four, love, agape. It's an unconditional, giving love that loves without changing and without expecting repayment. And of course, the most famous verse, right? John 3.16. We wear these shirts at football games, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Love. For God so loved us. 
And so the greatest of these is love, Paul says. And why is love the greatest of these? Again, back up to verse 10. But when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. So so think about this. C.K. Barrett said this. Love is a property of God himself. Okay? God does not need to trust in the way of placing his confidence in something. Because he's God. If he had to place his confidence in something else, he'd stop being God. God does not hope. Because God knows. But if God did not love, he'd stop being God. Love's an activity, an essential activity of God himself. Okay? Now, why don't we need hope and faith in heaven? There's my question. Why is love so important? Check this out. In heaven, we won't need hope. Because we're going to be face to face with our blessed hope, Jesus Christ. So we don't need to have hope. We have hope. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. Now, in heaven, why don't we need faith? Because faith is believing what the Lord has said. And here on earth, we have faith, but there we have eyes. We don't need faith anymore because it's right in front of us. We don't have to trust for it. We'll have it. I mean, faith is that someday one of you are going to give me a Camaro. (laughs) But if you give me the Camaro, I don't need faith for it anymore. I can touch my Camaro. 67 ragtop, please. (laughs) Alexander Strunch said this, the other gifts are very important, but they're only partial and they're only temporary. But love abides forever. So let's get practical. Paul is not saying, hey, choose between faith, hope, and love. He's not. But he wants us to realize that without love, There's no motivation to do anything. And we need love, otherwise the other gifts are simply distractions. Do you understand that? If you operate in a gift and have not love, you're just being a distraction. Imagine that. My giftedness is serving cookies, but I do it and have not love. You're just a distraction. Ooh, that hurts. But Paul began this section by saying, put away those childish things. And and, and so we can take this spiritual inventory and ask ourselves these questions again. What's coming out of my mouth? What what am I saying? What am I allowing in my head? What, What am I thinking? How am I behaving? And how am I reasoning? So first, our speech. Our speech needs to be so different than the speech of the world. The, the, the cussing, the insulting, the swearing, the belittling, the boasting, all that stuff. Put it away. I need to master my thought life. You know, a lot of times people say, it just enters in my mind, I can't help it. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, you can. I don't want to tell you you're wrong, but you're wrong. 
Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, catch this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, here it is. Yes, the thought may enter, but if you capture the thought, you're good. You play with the thought, right, which most of us like to do. Play with that thought a little bit and ding, 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 go around your head a couple of times. Sin begins here, goes south to here, and then goes here. Starts here. All right, next one. How am I behaving? Paul told his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to those believers in the word and in conduct, in love and spirit, faith and purity. Be an example. How am I reasoning? Do I have a worldview or do I have a biblical worldview? There's a huge difference. And as we mature in our faith, again, when, when I first started serving the Lord, there were a lot of things that I believed about the world and about things. And as I've grown up in Christ, man, my beliefs have changed considerably. And, and not that I've arrived, but if you're not different than the day you got saved, it's time to put away some childish things. Paul said in Galatians 5.16, I say then to walk in the Spirit, and you shall not, you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how? Surrender to the Holy Spirit. You can't do the things the flesh wants. So again, Paul says, then face to face. When that which is perfect has come, the rest is gone. Our final destination, the fulfillment of our faith, being face to face with God. 1 John 4, 16, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Because God is love, if God lives in us, love should overflow out of us. I want you to think about heaven for a second. And if we're in heaven and there's a fountain, let's say God is a fountain and he's in the center of heaven. And don't call me a heretic. I know God's not a fountain. It's a pitcher, people. Anyway, <laughs> there's a fountain in heaven. Imagine that's God for a second. If God is love, that fountain is just pouring out. And if that fountain lives in you, shouldn't it pour out of us? Right? And again, it's a pitcher. Don't be so uptight. <laughs> God is both love and infinite. And so his love is infinite. And that's why love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now, abide. Faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And again, why is love so great? In heaven, we don't need hope. We're with our blessed hope. In heaven, we don't need faith. Our eyes are our faith. We no longer need it. We're with the one whose love personified, Jesus Christ, who loves us, and he's right there with us. You know, the Christian life here, we're told to walk by faith and not by sight. But in heaven, we walk by sight and not by faith. Think about that. My very favorite song that 
was written probably in 1999 or something, still played on the radio today. I got to do it at my grandmother's funeral, the first funeral I ever did by myself in 2005. I, I found someone who could play a guitar and sing the song, and I had to go to the Barry and do my grandmother's funeral. It was for Mercy Me. It's, I can only imagine. And I thought about that song for this message. Let me just read a couple of lines from it. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when, my, when your face is before me. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when I no longer walk by faith. But these three, my hope is fulfilled, my faith is my eyes, but love personifies right there in front of me, and I get to see him face to face. And, and so when we grow up in love, that's what it's all about. We grow up in love. And, and why can we love? First John very clearly tells us we love him because he first loved us. We don't muster up the love to love Jesus. Somehow I'm better than you because I can love Jesus. I can only love Jesus because he loved me first. And by the way, he loved you first too. And now he just would say, it's yours for the taking. It's right there. It's yours. Do you want it? That's the only question. And you see, Jesus is such a gentleman. He's not going to force himself upon you. you. You can refuse him. It won't work out real well for you, but you can. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up, and every week we have people in the back who would love to pray for you, but along with salvational love, as Christ followers, he would call us to grow up in our faith. He would call us to mature in our faith. And again, it's not through self-effort, not through self-help books or anything else, but it's through utter surrender. It's in the brokenness. It's in the surrender that finally we give up and let the Lord have the steering wheel. I like to say it like this. Imagine your life as a car. My life's a 1967 Camaro. I bet you didn't guess that. But as I'm driving down the road, I see this figure off to the side, and I pull over, and Eureka, it's Jesus. And I say, hey, Jesus, would you like a ride? It's kind of a hot day out. And Jesus goes, yeah, cool, Rich, nice to see you. And then Jesus walks around, and he walks to the driver's side door, and he opens it and says, get out. <laughs> That's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. If he's your co-pilot, move over. You're in the wrong seat. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I thank you so much. God, we're immature children at times, but I thank you that you love us. You're not done with us because we're still breathing. And so, God, we pray that you would teach us to surrender, teach us to get out of the driver's seat, teach us, Lord Jesus, to allow you to drive that will never be in a wreck, We'll never go astray. We'll never be wrong as long as we're letting you have the throne of our life. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in here today who's never known you, and Father, they're sitting there wondering what's this all about, that God, you would just, Lord, pierce their heart. Get a hold of them. Let them know how much love you had for them that you would send Jesus Christ to the cross 
to die for their sins so that they could have eternal life. God, speak to their hearts today. And Lord, thank you for this letter to, to the Corinthians that they're, it's so relevant to us today. And Father, may we realize that anything done without love is just worthless. So Lord, we're thankful for your forgiveness. We're thankful for your kindness and love. Grow us up. Use us, we pray. And now let us worship the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithclamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed. Be blessed.